bringing you the latest in tax credit news, this is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need legislation. we got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these mixed signals and messages. If he doesn't have a bipartisan bill, nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, May 24th, 2016. We have a great podcast for you this week. We have one of the most exciting announcements I've ever had the pleasure of discussing on Tax Credit Tuesday. But first, this week marks the 252nd anniversary of the first time lawyer James Otis decried taxation without representation. Otis used that phrase during a town meeting in Boston on May 24, 1762, referring to the Sugar Act instituted by Great Britain. Otis called for the colonies to unite in their opposition, launching an 18th century version of tax reform. That phrase, of course, became a rallying cry in the American Revolution. And in more recent years, it has become a bitter slogan on the license plates of cars in Washington, D.C. To start off our podcast this week and our general section, I'll recap a corporate integration hearing that was held in the Senate Finance Committee last week, and I'll share important insights from that hearing on the possible adverse effects of corporate individual income tax integration on investable community development tax credits. In our low-income tax credit section, I'll discuss the extremely exciting announcement that a bill was introduced in the Senate last week to increase federal allocations of the low-income tax credit by 50%. That's right, 50%. There are also provisions in the bill to increase the financial feasibility of mixed-income developments and to provide additional tax credits for taxes and bond low-income housing tax credit developments. I'll also discuss a proposed rule that would affect applicants of HUD's multifamily and healthcare programs who have participated in HUD programs before. Then in other news from HUD, a proposed rule was issued last week that would mandate broadband infrastructure be installed at all HUD multifamily properties during construction. In new markets tax credit news, I'll share details of a recent meeting that was held by the Community Development Advisory Board. That's the group that advises the director of the CDFI Fund on program policy. And also, as promised last week, in our store tax credit section, I'll share some good news about one southern state that was able to double the authorized funding for its state historic tax credit program. And I'll close out with Renewable Energy Tax Credit News, where I'll share a a beginning of construction rule update for the Renewable Energy Investment and Production Tax Credit. I'll also discuss one state's bill that would require wind companies to turn over a part of the federal production tax credit to the state. If you're ready, let's get started. In general news, the Senate Finance Committee last week held a hearing on corporate integration. Now, corporate integration is the idea of eliminating double taxation, where income is taxed at the corporate level and then again at the individual level. During the meeting, Senator Ben Cardin asked what effects corporate integration could have on the value of the new markets tax credit and the historic tax credit. Senator Cardin said that he was a strong proponent of the new markets tax credit, and he said that the effects of corporate integration should be understood when trying to reform the tax code. 
Witnesses at the hearing addressed one of Senator Cardin's earlier comments when he asked the question, but did not answer his new markets tax credit and historic tax credit question. But the fact that he raised the question is important. His question reminds lawmakers to keep in mind that tax reform proposals can have unintended consequences. Now, the key here with respect to tax credits and corporate integration is to what extent corporate-level taxation would go down as individual taxation went up to avoid double taxation, and that reduction in corporate-level taxes would cause corporations to determine that they did not need or have the ability to use tax credits. Now, I should note that there is another full committee hearing scheduled for today on debt versus equity corporate integration considerations, which is part of a busy week for hearings this week that could impact the tax credit community. The House Ways and Means Committee today will have a hearing on setting priorities for reducing poverty through the tax code. And on Wednesday, Ways and Means Committee will host a hearing concerning perspectives on the need for tax reform. If any of the discussions from the hearings are relevant to tax credits, and I expect they will be, I'll update you in next week's podcast. And speaking of hearings, you can see excerpts from a recent Ways and Means Committee Member Day tax reform hearing on our YouTube channel. The channel is Novogratic CPAs. Also, if you go to my Twitter channel feed, you'll find a recent tweet that contains the link. In affordable housing news, as noted in the intro to the podcast today, we have a very exciting development to discuss. The long-awaited Affordable Housing Credit Improvement Act of 2016 was introduced last week by Democratic Senator Maria Cantwell along with the chairman of the Senate Finance Committee, Republican Orrin Hatch. The bill, called S-2962, includes a proposal to increase the loan housing tax credit by 50% over five years, starting in 2017. Now, Cantwell originally announced her intention to introduce the bill at a Seattle press event in March. Cantwell, a Democrat from Washington, and Hatch, a Republican from Utah, were joined by two other colleagues as original co-sponsors. The two other colleagues were top Democrat on the Senate Finance Committee, Ron Wyden of Oregon, and the likely incoming Senate Democratic leader, Charles Schumer of New York. It bears noting that it is highly unusual for the Finance Committee chairman to co-sponsor a tax bill sponsored by the minority party. Not to mention to be joined in support by the ranking member and a member of the Senate leadership. The fact that Cantwell was able to secure the support of Hatch is remarkable, and it's a testament to her effectiveness in rallying support for using the low-income housing tax credit to help battle the lack of affordable housing in America. The headline provision is a 50% increase in per capita tax credit authority that would take place gradually over five years. More specifically, it would increase the per capita and small state minimum allocations by 10% each year for five years. In addition to that, the legislation also features several other provisions. The bill would set a minimum 4% credit rate for acquisition and for taxes and bond finance properties. That 4% minimum would be similar to the 9% local housing tax rate credit rate floor that was set by the PATH Act at the end of last year. This 4% minimum rate for taxes and bond projects translates into about 25% more equity. This would make more taxes and bond finance projects financially feasible. 
and the bill would also allow income averaging and low-income housing tax credit developments. That would allow units for households earning up to 80% of the area median income to qualify as long as the average income limit for the property was 60% or less of the area median income. A provision like this would be particularly helpful in high housing cost markets, sparsely populated low-income rural communities, and low-income community revitalization efforts. If approved, this bill would be one of the biggest changes in the 30-year history of the low-income housing tax credit. The last change of this magnitude was the Community Renewal Tax Relief Act of 2000. As you may recall, that increased the per capita cap by 40% over two years and created an annual inflation adjustment. The Housing and Economic Recovery Act of 2008 had a temporary 10% increase for 2008 and 2009. This bill will definitely be a major topic at the Novogratic Affordable Housing Conference this Thursday and Friday in San Francisco. And there's still time to register. You can do so by going to www.novoco.com events. And if you want to read the bill, go to www.taxcredithousing.com. Also, check out my notes from the Novogratic blog for further updates and analysis of the Affordable Housing Credit Improvement Act of 2016. In other news, HUD is inviting comment on a proposed rule that would revise how HUD conducts previous participation reviews of applicants to HUD's multifamily and healthcare programs. This is commonly referred to as 2530 reviews or the 2530 process, as the form that is used by HUD is Form 2530. Now, the current rule requires all principals applying for HUD's multifamily housing and healthcare programs to certify that they have acted responsibly in previous participation in HUD's programs. In other words, the rule helps verify that applicants have a good track record with HUD. However, the certification process is detailed and lengthy. HUD proposed simplifying the rules back in August of 2015 and accepted comments until last October. Several comments said that the proposed rules were too broad and could be open to too many interpretations. In response, HUD is now proposing to issue, with its final regulations, a processing guide for previous participation reviews. HUD says the proposed rule would clarify the process and avoid a one-size-fits-all approach. Now, I should note, syndicators and direct investors in low-income housing tax credits, new market tax credits, historic tax credits, and other tax credits are excluded from the proposed rule. That is, they're excluded unless they have decision-making authority over their properties. You can find the proposed rule at www.hudresourcecenter.com. Comments are due to HUD by June 16th. In other news, HUD proposed a rule last week that would require the installation of broadband infrastructure into most department-funded multifamily housing developments. The infrastructure requirement is only during new construction or substantial rehabilitation. In announcing the proposed rule, HUD Secretary Julian Castro said it was essential to help residents, and I quote, connect to the world and compete in the 21st century, end quote. HUD's proposal says that when it's feasible, developers must include the broadband technologies in their development plans. The rule builds on Connect Home, HUD's initiative to extend affordable housing broadband access to families in HUD-assisted housing. Connect Home is in place in 28 communities across the nation. The initiative ensures that internet service providers, nonprofits, and private sector partners 
offer low or no cost broadband access and training to HUD assisted households. Now, HUD is broadening the scope to include broadband in nearly all new or renovated HUD housing. HUD is accepting comments on the proposed rule. Comments will be accepted until July 17th. You can read the proposed rule at www.hudresourcecenter.com. In New Markets Tax Credit News, the Community Development Advisory Board held a meeting last Tuesday to discuss goals and strategies of the CDFI Fund for the next five years. The board advises the director of the CDFI Fund on policies for its programs, including, of course, the New Markets Tax Credit. Regarding the New Markets Tax Credit specifically, Rosa Martinez of the CDFI Fund provided a summary of the program's achievements. They included a recap of the awards that were made in 2015 for the 2014 round. Martinez said that the CDFI Fund's goal was to extend the reach of the New Market Tax Credit to states and communities that have historically received less allocation. Martinez reported a strong focus on innovative investment activities that brought funds to underserved areas. Martinez said that 39 of the 76 awardees in the 2014 round committed to making innovative investments. 28 of those CDEs committed to investing in underserved states. In addition to the comments made by Martinez, Director Annie Donovan was asked at the meeting how combining two funding rounds for $7 billion will affect the CDFI Fund's activities this year. Donovan emphasized that the CDFI Fund has never had a $7 billion round. As such, she said that the allocation process would take time, as was indicated when the combination of the round was announced. Still, though, Donovan said she knows that awards need to be made as soon as possible if dollars are going to hit the street in 2016. Learn more about what's in store for the community development industry at the upcoming Novogratic 2016 New Markets Tax Credit Spring Conference. Annie Donovan will be a keynote speaker as well as NMTC Program Manager Bob Ibanez. The conference is June 2nd and 3rd in Washington, D.C. You can register at www.novaco.com. In historic tax credit news, Mississippi Governor Phil Bryant signed a bill doubling the state historic tax credit cap. The Mississippi Historic Tax Credit Program cap increased to $120 million thanks to the legislation that Bryant signed. The bill also contained a provision that limited the credit to $12 million per year for the next five years. That will allow the state credit to last until its sunset date at the end of the year 2020. Mississippi passed its state store tax credit back in 2006 with no annual limit and a program cap of $60 million. That program cap was reached in 2014. Last fall, the Mississippi Departments of Archives and History asked the legislature to replenish the fund. The bill, to do so, passed both houses of the legislature, and by a wide margin. The Senate passed it by a margin of 49 to 1, and the House passed it by a margin of 108 to 7. From there, Bryant signed the bill. The Mississippi Historic Preservation Tax Credit is equal to 25% of the qualified rehabilitation expenditures, similar to the federal, and the state credit can be combined with the federal. The bill also changed the rules about eligibility of single-family dwelling for the credit. They are ineligible unless they're certified by the state before July 1st, or they're designated a National Historic Landmark. You can see the legislation at www.historictaxcredits.com. 
The bill is called the Historic Tax Credit and Mississippi Small Business Investment Act. And, as always, if you have any questions about state or federal store tax credits, please contact my partner, Tom Bosha, in our Cleveland, Ohio office. In renewable energy tax credit news, the IRS, last week, issued an update to guidance that it had released earlier this month. You may recall that the IRS released Notice 2016-31 on May 5th. That notice implemented the PATH Act's extensions of the production tax credit and investment tax credit. The notice clarified guidance on the beginning of construction date as it applies to the ITC and PTC. Well, an update to the May 5th notice was issued last week to make three changes. First of all, the update modifies the deadline for the continuity safe harbor. Essentially, a facility will satisfy the continuity safe harbor if it's placed in service by the later of four years after construction begins or December 31, 2016. Second, it creates a math error in one of the examples. And third, the update explicitly states that the guidance is effective for properties that are placed in service after January 2, 2013. The original notice did not specify such a date. Now, if you have any questions about the update or about the safe harbor rules, please contact my partner, Stephen Tracy, in our San Francisco office. Turning to state news, a legislative committee in Wyoming is expected to propose an increase in the tax on wind energy. That's right, you heard it correctly, a tax increase on wind energy. Wyoming is the only state that actually taxes wind energy production. And the state's Joint Revenue Committee decided earlier this month to draft two possible bills to increase that tax. One would simply raise its current tax on wind energy production. The current tax is $1 per megawatt hour and was passed in 2010. The other would require wind companies to turn over a part of the federal production tax credit to the state. That is now 2.3 cents per kilowatt hour for wind. The production tax credit is scheduled to, to reduce by 20% per year starting in 2017. Now, part of the reason for the potential tax increase on wind-powered energy production is that some Wyoming legislators said that they don't see the benefit of wind energy production to their state. State Senator Ogden Driscoll said that the consumers of Wyoming's wind power are residents of other states. He sees the tax as a means of ensuring that Wyoming also benefits from wind energy. He said that if there isn't significant benefit to Wyoming, then he doesn't really want what he called windmills. Last year, wind producers paid $3.8 million to the state and counties in production taxes. That's a good total, but it's a drop of 15% from 2014 when the amount was $4.4 million. Also, no new wind farms in the state have come online since 2010. However, Power Company of Wyoming has proposed building the largest onshore wind farm in North America in the state. That facility would cost $5 billion, but would include as many as 1,000 turbines. The Joint Revenue Committee members decided to continue to discuss wind legislation this summer, so nothing is imminent. But we'll keep an eye on the happenings in the state. For more information on state and federal energy tax credit news, go to www.energytaxcredits.com. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. I invite you to join me again next week for another Tax Credit Tuesday. Also, a reminder, 
that our Novogratic 2016 Affordable Housing Conference is this Thursday and Friday, May 26th and 27th in San Francisco. And if you haven't already registered, you can do so at www.novoco.com. Hope to see you there. And if you're intending, I encourage you to tweet to your colleagues using the Novoco LIHTC hashtag to let them know you're here and to facilitate your networking opportunities. That's it for now. This is Michael Novogratik. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik and Company, LLP. Archived discussions are available online at www.novoco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. Novogratik and Company, LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novoco.com.